Hi, I'm Debbie Mack, and this is The Crime Cafe. Today we have an author that I was lucky enough to meet while I was in Hollywood at the Sisters in Crime Hollywood Conference. And I'm talking about Hollywood, California, not Hollywood, Maryland. And that does actually exist, Hollywood, Maryland. In any okay. case, <laughs> be that as it may, today's guest is Cheryl Shore, who writes under the name C.L. Shore. But very quickly before we start, I'd like to remind you that we are crowdfunding, doing a crowdfunding campaign for the Crime Cafe Stories Project, which includes stories from many of the authors, 13 of them actually, who were guests on this show last season. And the, the crowdfunding campaign will continue until August 12th. So if you would like to donate to the campaign, I'll put up the link on uh, my website, debbiemack.com. It's under Crime Cafe, and it will also be under the blog post where I have this podcast set up. And feel free to donate there. It's crunch time right now. We only have till August 12th, and I would appreciate any and all support you can give, whether it's a, even a dollar donation or sending the link to someone you know who likes crime fiction. With that out of the way, I'd like to welcome Cheryl Shore. Hi, Cheryl. It's good to have you on. Hi. It's great to be here. Thanks for asking me. It was my pleasure. Um, I just finished Titania's Suitor. That's it. I want to say Tatiana. Titania's yeah. Suitor. And I have to say the subject was very topical. Uh, would you like to tell our listeners about the book in general? Um, sure. Um, my book has uh, a protagonist, actually almost two protagonists, but I think there is one that's dominant, Charlotte. And um, she is a graduate nursing student and kind of faced with a personal crisis. Um, her, her husband is leaving her and there's a lot of issues surrounding her path toward graduate school, which she doesn't feel she can leave right now. So that's kind of overwhelming her. Um, at the same time, she's working on her dissertation and she just basically wants to finish it and get out of graduate school and move on with her life. But um, she's more or less oblivious at first, but becomes more and more concerned about some um, Possible, I don't think cyber hacks would be the word, but some infiltration of her email accounts. Um, and uh, it becomes more and more apparent that they're probably interested in her data, her dissertation data, which is actually um, tied in with a research project with a big pharmaceutical company. So um, that's Charlotte, and then her friend Veronica is also a nurse, a nurse in practice, and um, she has an interesting moonlighting career, I guess you'd say. She um, helps her boyfriend, who's a private investigator, with certain aspects of his job. So she's always entertaining and kind of amazing, Charlotte, with some of the things she's doing, and Charlie's her life is very dull, but as the story evolves, Charlotte's life definitely gets a little bit more exciting. Yes, definitely. I thought using emails as a narrative device was very clever. Did you find it difficult to use emails uh, in creating the story? 
Um, no, I, I really didn't. Um, for me, as a beginning writer, because this is early, kind of one of my earlier works, and the thought of writing a novel was a little bit daunting. Um, so it was a kind of an easy way for me to start, like, what is so-and-so doing today? Or what is so-and-so going to say today? So it was almost kind of like a dual journal. I mean, there are more than just the two sources in the email, but Charlotte and Veronica are the dominant ones. So um, that was relatively easy for me to do when it came near time to finish and kind of do the nitty-gritty of formatting and, and things. Um, what was hardest was going back to the headers and subject line that all my dates were, were right and there weren't any big errors that way. And um, there was a little bit of fixing to do there, but not as bad as I thought. But I, I had to go through it with a fine-tooth comb. I can imagine. Did you keep track of it on a calendar? Well, um, yes and no. I mean, because it starts around Thanksgiving time, there were the holidays that kind of were organizing factors for me. I mean, it starts at Thanksgiving, and then there's Christmas, and then there's Valentine's Day, which was kind of a crisis because, you know, it's her first Valentine's when she and her husband are separated, and how do you deal with that? Um, so I kind of organized it in my head by those landmarks. But um, there was a little bit of kind of figuring out to do when it just came down to, you know, I had, I think I had used a couple dates more than once and just kind of getting that all figured out and making sure the timeline was right. It was a little anxiety producing. I know it's difficult for me to um, get timeline straight sometimes, even with writing narrative, just plain regular narrative. And I have a tendency to use a calendar for that. Uh, but I thought it was an interesting commentary on the way we communicate in our times with email because uh, Victoria and Charlotte each wrote very long emails and Pete wrote short emails and it, there was kind of a difference in the way they communicated like he would come across very no nonsense and like okay I'll see you then you know you know what I mean <laughs> And sometimes an email really doesn't express everything. So it always left me wondering, what are people really thinking as they're writing these things? So for me, at any rate, as a reader, I had that, that experience. Uh, did you intend that at all? Well, um, yeah, I think so. I mean, the, um, the Pete relationship was difficult and, um, he certainly did not articulate that um, my, many of his feelings through his emails, that's for sure. So all you know about how he and Charlotte are dealing with the separation and what's going to happen to our marriage is through Charlotte's to Victoria. And I apologize, I said Veronica before because that was my working name for a while, but then we went with Victoria in the final version. Um, so yeah, I kind of, I, I just was seeing it as a very business-like and, you know, direct to the point in his emails with Charlotte. And, you know, he wasn't definitely, he definitely was not expressing his feelings to her through that medium at all. So yeah, yeah. it wasn't intentional. And another thing about the story was interesting was you're touching on the subject of online stalking. 
Right. Um, going into details. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. I think um, I read somewhere that middle-aged women, at least 10 years ago, were kind of like a prime target for stalking because of their, you know, some of them were willing to become, um, you know, uh, computer savvy and love the online communication, but were kind of naive about protecting themselves. So um, that was kind of one element I was thinking of at the time. You know, personally, um, I noticed at the time I went from being a graduate student myself, because I finished my last degree relatively late in life, and then I went directly to being faculty at the same institute to finish my degree. So um, at that time, even though I had the same email address, I noticed an increase in spam activity and, you know, I don't know if my name had gotten on some list as a new faculty member or, or what. But there were some definitely very strange things that started coming in. Many were filtered into my spam, but some were not. So that was kind of one thing that kind of got my attention. Um, and then there was another, I don't know if you could call it a trend, because I was really only aware of one incident, but I'm sure there's a larger phenomenon going on where a um, clinical instructor at Stanford was, I guess, censured by some of the financial contributors to Stanford because they were pharmaceutical companies and they did not like some of the things they were, this particular instructor was saying about their drug. So the urge was on to fire that person, you know, and there was some concern about academic freedom versus, you know, these financial contributors and the power that they had. And you, you do see more kind of internships and sharing of data and projects between the universities and, you know, private entities, corporations. So all of those were themes that kind of fed into this novel. So someone could maybe at theoretically be, be doing some analysis for a corporation and possibly even using that for some academic work as well or some academic papers but still there's that that tie into a private entity which usually has a commercial you know I mean making a profit as part of their existence you know reason for being so you know there's the knowledge and then there's the potential benefit from that knowledge which includes financial benefit so all of those forces kind of operating together, I think, could get a little bit messy, especially if you're the one that holds some information, which is in what kind of the, the position that Charlotte's in. Yes, yes, indeed. I was going to say, sometimes Victoria had a tendency to ramble on about stuff that I thought, I wonder if she should be saying that on the Internet. <laughs> I oh, you mean like... Detail. Patient-related stuff or, you know, More yeah, like, it could be. Like the stuff that she was doing at Moonlighting on. <laughs> oh, with her, her cases, yeah, yeah, especially. Like, it would be potentially retrievable or exposable, yeah. Ixnay, Victoria Ixnay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I enjoyed the novel. It really, it was very uh, gripping. After, after those first few emails, I really started to get into Charlotte's life. 
And um, the more creepy stuff happened, the more interesting it got. So, thank you. Uh, well done. Um, you also have another book called Seeker of Truth, which is no longer, I take it in print. But uh, right, I mean, you can still buy it from secondhand type sources, I guess. Um, I have the rights back to it right now, and I'm considering some revision of it. Um, I also have a work in progress, and that work in progress, which hopefully is almost done, the last section is supposed to go through my critique group soon, um, was always conceived to be the prequel to Seeker of Truth. Um, as a nun protagonist, but she's also, she's fairly young and she's a widow. She's a police detective's widow. And so in the work I'm doing now, I'm actually bringing her husband back. It's a, the prequel. So her husband's still alive and they're working together on a case. So I'm hoping to find a agent and or publisher for that book. And then when that happens, I'll kind of decide, do I want to keep Secret of Truth as the sequel or do I want to just let it be its own independent thing? Because I think it could really go either way. Um, and I definitely have a book in, the, in mind for in the middle, regardless, you know, where Mark, the husband, is still alive and he and Sister Lucy in Seeker of Truth, who's actually Sarah in the prequel, um, will work together on one more case. So that's so, interesting. It sounds like you've got a series in the works there. I could, yeah, yeah. So I'm hoping to sell someone on this current book, which um, my working title is Maiden Murders. And um, if I get someone interested in that, then I'll kind of pursue the idea of doing a series and Secret of Truth could end up being the, the last in the series, or it could continue with Sister Lucy as a protagonist. Hmm. Interesting. So you've got some options there. That's cool. Um, and I saw on your blog that you've done some traveling, including going to Ireland. I went to Dublin a few years back and thought it was just a lovely city and would love to go back to Ireland and see more. Um, Tell us about your experiences in Ireland and whether you think you'll ever write an Irish mystery. <laughs> I would love to. For one reason, I'd love a reason to go back. Um, and um, I don't know. Ireland is just fascinating. I love going to different countries and learning about different cultures. And my current work in progress, Maiden Murders, has some, um, it has a, what I call a prehistoric mystery. I don't know if that's the right word, best word, and a contemporary mystery. But the prehistoric part involves a um, Native American culture that existed in Western Illinois a thousand years ago. So I really enjoyed learning about that. And then when you go to Ireland and you realize how far back their history goes and they take you to places that have been around since 800 AD and 400 AD. And for those of you who saw um, the very end of the latest Star Wars movie where they were on that island, I just thought that has to be either Ireland or Iceland, and it was Ireland. I really tried to go there. I just couldn't swing it because everybody's trying to go there, and it's not an easy place to dock a boat. But, um, yeah, the fact that their history goes back so long. So there are a couple things that really intrigued me, but one, and I don't know if you saw these while you were there, were the bog bodies that were in the Archaeological Museum. I didn't. Oh, wow. So if you go back to Dublin, you have to go there and see them, but um, they are semi-preserved, I mean, they are preserved, really, bodies, and 
I can't remember again. I mean, they are more than a thousand years old and some of them are on display in the museum. And um, some are whole bodies and some are just portions of bodies, which I think the thought is that these were people that were kind of thrown into the bog in pieces, the ones that are not whole. But it's amazing how um, well preserved the bodies or parts of the bodies are. And um, in some of these bogs, they also found caches of butter, which to me lets me know how long dairy farming has been going on in Ireland, just for a long, long time. So I'd love to learn more about, you know, the ancient cultures of Ireland and possibly do a mystery around that. Because, I mean, those bog bodies, they were just fascinating. And, you know, there's a story there. I don't know. It would, it would take some research. So I would love that reason to go back. But the country itself is just beautiful. And while we were there, going back to the Star Wars, they were actually filming the next Star Wars movie near the Dingle Peninsula. And we were, we were trying to find them. We couldn't actually find their set. But you could tell you were near because there would be signs in the little villages letting you know that. Um, and so they were going to film there because they said they love the natural beauty. And then also up in Donegal, which was a place we didn't get to, which would be another place to go back just to see the other additional places. But there's just so much natural beauty there. Um, and uh, it's just a film lover's paradise, I would think. I'm not a romance fan, but a couple of tour guides said, oh, you have to watch Leap Year, which is a rom-com type of movie uh -huh. so I did when I got back and it was kind of like reliving my vacation I just thought my goodness they had the best sets in the world all they had to do was wait for a sunny day because really they did very little I mean we went to probably five or six places including there's a bridge on Dublin that you might recognize there so even if you're not a big romantic comedy fan I would recommend seeing that if you really kind of fell in love with Dublin or Ireland but I certainly did there's just so much so much there so I would highly recommend it I would definitely love to go back not only to see the scenery but to see Dublin again and uh, there's an author who's going to be on the show who's in Ireland if you ever want an introduction I'll somehow I'll, okay. I'll tweet you guys together <laughs> or something on, right. on on Twitter uh, Louise Phillips she's going to be on one of our later shows so okay I will definitely and, make that name while I was there, I met with Karen Kennedy, who I believe writes screenplays and does freelancing, who's also just a wonderful person. She's really nice. And uh, I should probably have her on the show as well. <laughs> but, um, but Louise is so cool. And her story is very interesting. She does, actually, it's interesting. She is somewhat related to the health professions in that uh, her protagonist is a, um, is a, psychological profiler uh, of oh colors. that sounds very yes. oh that, that sounds very interesting i definitely want to look her up yeah i was going to say you should... temporary part of my current work in progress is like it's a contemporary chase for a serial killer and then this ancient mystery comes into it and the two actually kind of merge even though that sounds kind of crazy well that sounds so... cool actually <laughs> yeah, you could definitely benefit from knowing each other so yeah that's... i think we could that's awesome. <laughs> so in any case, um, I'm going to have to wrap up in a few minutes, but um, has your background in healthcare influenced your writing? I'd say the answer is yes. Uh, I, I'm sure it has in, in, in some ways. I mean, um, I don't write about, I mean, there are some details in um, Titania Suter that are 
medically and nursing related, but um, you know, I don't, so far I haven't written like a medical thriller, like a Robin Cook kind of book or, or something like that, though that possibility is there. But I think um, in healthcare, especially in nursing, you're taught this inductive approach where you're piecing together things that the patient says and their symptoms that you can measure and, and drawing that together into a picture. And I think that same type of thing um, goes on in mysteries. You know, you're laying the, the puzzle pieces out there and then that comes together into a picture which suddenly, you know, is in a mystery, it's a solution or part of the solution to the mystery. Well, that's an interesting well, that's way of thinking about it. Okay, well, is there anything else you'd like to add before we end here? Um, no, I can't think of anything other than thank you for those names. And, um, <laughs> just thank you, for, <laughs> thank you for this opportunity. It's been a lot of fun. It's the same here. I've enjoyed talking to you, and my hair is all a mess now. But um, I think you look great. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. And uh, I'll just end here by reminding you that we have a crowdfunding campaign going on, and you can find the link here on the video that I'm putting up, as well as if you're listening on the podcast on my website, www.debbymac.com. And uh, if you can make a donation before August 12th, I'd really appreciate it. So thanks again, Cheryl, for being on. And it was a pleasure talking to you. And I'll see everyone else in two weeks. Correction, the deadline is actually August 9th.